0: Good morning. My name is Nick. Thank you so much for being here. It is Reality Weekend, and if you've been around Holland Chapel for very long, you know that that normally means there's a bunch of rowdy students up in the balcony or maybe they sat down front this year or whatever, but this year looks a little different. It's still Reality Weekend. It was still an amazing weekend, but this year uh, all the churches, the 10 or so churches that are involved, uh, decided to uh, just have the students show up there at First Baptist for the three basically uh, worship gatherings over the course of the weekend, and So there was no overnight stay. I see a few students gathered around here and some I'm sure will be in for second uh, worship gathering as well. But I just want to say thank you for praying for and thank you for participating in. Reality Weekend. It was an awesome time, and it was really encouraging to me. We uh, typically have about 120 or so students take part in the weekend, and this year, if you eliminate the host homes, the all-night slumber parties, the, the college leaders coming in from out of town and driving them around and having all kinds of fun, you would think that that number would drop to about 20 students going to Reality Weekend, but we still had almost 100 students that were committed to showing up to worshiping Jesus Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, and we saw decisions made. We saw students. I actually got to talk to a couple of little guys, and they stood up at one of the invitation times, and, and I said, Hey, what made you stand up? And they said, we just never really made a bold decision. We just never really stood up and said, I don't want to be just a fan of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And so we're looking forward to, to talking through some of those decisions that were made and sharing with those with you in the weeks ahead. But it was a, it was a really, really good and really encouraging weekend. So thank you for your prayers. Uh, but this morning, we are in the series, What Love, uh, almost to the end of it. In fact, next week, we're going to wrap up. Uh, The end of the Gospel of John, and I'm excited to be here today for, I don't even know what, what week number it is, but it's almost the end of a long journey through the book of John. And John, throughout his book, tells us of Jesus turning water into wine. He tells us of Jesus healing the blind and the sick and the lame. He tells us of Jesus feeding thousands. And today, on Valentine's Day, we are going to discuss the greatest miracle of all. One that you know that we usually reserve for Easter, uh, and, and that's kind of the big thing on Easter. But we know as believers in Jesus, this is the day, this is the miracle that changes our lives. This is the miracle that we should celebrate every day. And so even here on Valentine's Day, we're going to discuss the resurrection of Jesus. That's what we find in John chapter 20. So I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 20. And as you do, I've got a little side note here, speaking of miracles... And Valentine's Day, I prayed for a miracle 25 years ago today. I needed a miracle. I had a date with a beautiful young lady, and I just needed my car to get me to Little Rock and back. Now, you might not think that's a big deal, but when it's a 79 Baby Blue Grand Prix that had a history of having to tap hairbrushes and things on the engine to, to get it to turn off or to get it to start or all the little intricacies of my car. It was a big deal if I could just get this pretty lady to Little Rock and back. And it was going to be a quick trip because I only had money for dinner. We weren't going to the movies or anything. It was going to be dinner and then get her back. And so that would mean I only had to start my car twice. So I prayed for a miracle and 25 years ago today my wife and I had our very first date and so she'll be in second service and I get to say happy anniversary and all that but I want to say this to those of you in the room there's many of you ahead of us on that journey and you are our inspiration you are ones that we look to Uh, we admire you we admire the love that you have for each other and so I'm going to borrow a line from a dear friend of mine and just say keep going we need you to keep going because people are watching And I want to say happy Valentine's Day. So, what love? What love we see in John chapter 20. Last week, Grant gave us a wonderful description of the love that Jesus took, or the love that took Jesus all the way to the cross, all the way to it is finished. That love kept him there. Jesus said, It is finished. Jesus' body was rushed into a nearby tomb to avoid working on the Sabbath with a plan to come back and finish the burial preparations a few days later. And then we find John chapter 20. So what I want to do this morning is look briefly at this passage of Scripture that we know so well, and then we're going to talk and discuss the miracle a little bit. So it's going to be a a fun morning, I think, as we've already experienced in singing out and celebrating the resurrection. I'm excited about this passage of Scripture. John chapter 20, verse number 1. It says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So who's here in this scene? This scene here, we have Mary, we have Peter, it says here, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, we know That that means John. John is speaking of himself there. So we have Mary, Peter, John. And then in Mary's account, she says, we don't know where they have put him. If you look to the other gospel accounts, you know there was at least three women here as well. And so Mary and the other women, they go to the tomb. They find that the stone had been rolled away. They rush back to tell Peter, John, and the others what had happened and then they come as well. Now, one thing that's interesting about this passage of Scripture is that the stone was rolled away. I found that rolling stones were reserved for the wealthy. Have you ever checked into their concert tickets? <laughs> ha, that's an original, <laughs> in case you didn't know. It's true, though. Apparently, there weren't very many uh, of the circular Uh, stones and so we know this this was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb as we read in scripture but I wanted to throw that in there look at verse three Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb they were both running but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there but he didn't go in then Simon Peter arrived and went inside he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. So Peter and John go to see for themselves. And this scene uh, is pretty self-explanatory. They, they run to the tomb. Only one of them would go in first. And then John goes in. And this reminds me of back around Halloween. Uh, my son and I, we went to... The royal haunted house up here uh, to show a little love for our community and and uh, help out the royal a little, little bit and and this john's move here reminds me of what i did it says then peter arrived and went inside oh wait hang on uh he saw the linen wrappings lying there but he didn't go in that's john speaking of himself then simon peter arrived and went inside so john made peter go in first similar to me telling my son, Will. Now, before you think I was just being mean to a, a kid, Will's bigger than me, so he's got a lot better chance of survival, I'm thinking, in this thing. So I go in behind Will, and I used to think about this passage. You all know this passage. You've read this before, and, and John is bragging about his speed and how he got there first, and, and he says two or three times, and here, the one who got there first, the one who arrived first. And I used to think John was bragging about it, but then I got thinking, that was what he had to hold over Peter, because when they got there, he uh, let Peter step in first. So I think of it as like me telling "Well, well, at least I paid for the tickets. Like, you know, I, I, I got us here. I drove us here. You went in first. And so I think it's John just reminding Peter, okay, yeah, you went in, but I got there first. And so I, I, I thought that was a little fun. I, I probably think about what they were thinking way too, way too much, but I have to relate it to myself. So anyway, they get there. Jesus would have been laid on a bench just inside the entrance For what was called the primary burial. So they didn't have to really go in very far. He would have been laying right there. And it it didn't take long to realize that Jesus was not there. Verse 8, it says, Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, there he goes again, also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. It said he saw and believed. He, he believed what? He believed uh, this must be the wrong tomb. Oh, he believed that, that uh, no, the body must have been stolen. No, he believed that Jesus was alive. See, it says that they still hadn't understood. Until then, they still hadn't understood. They didn't expect this when they got there. They weren't expecting Jesus to have risen from the dead because they still hadn't understood until this moment. They expected to get there and have to roll the stone away. They expected to get there and finish the burial preparations. And Luke's account of of this, um, of this event, Luke says that the women's story sounded like nonsense to the, to the disciples. Until this point, they still didn't understand. But we know now they did. It says, then he saw and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Don't miss the word must. Jesus must rise from the dead. Why is it so important, you might say? You might say, well, I, I thought he demonstrated his love for us on the cross. Why must he rise from the dead? Because Jesus has promised to forgive us of our sins and be the atoning sacrifice that would allow us to have a relationship with God was based not only on his death, but on his resurrection as well. See, Jesus must rise from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. Jesus must rise from the dead. Unless he did rise from that grave, the promise of our sins being forgiven, the promise of an eternal relationship in heaven with God forever was was just a false hope. Jesus' resurrection was a necessity. And until then, they did not understand all of the scriptures that said that this must happen. They were completely caught off guard. They expected to go there and just finish the job of the burial preparations. But now John sees and he believes. On Wednesday nights, our students are going through a a series we call The Essentials. We've been discussing these essential truths of God's Word. Things like God exists, the Bible is God's Word, sin is a big problem. We've been giving evidence for those essential truths. Much of the evidence comes from uh, a great book that you might want to get. It's called The Unshakable Truth. It's by Josh and Sean McDowell. and uh, We've been going through a lot of the evidence in this book to prove these essential truths. And this morning, the essential truth that we need to understand is that Jesus was resurrected. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. The Bible says very clearly there that Jesus must rise from the dead. And we know that God's word says that he arose. God's word says it very plain. Luke 24 is another, another um, description of this event. Luke 24 verse 5. He says, then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, for, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. I don't know about you, but that's good enough for me. Right, that, that right there is good enough for me. It's in God's word. I know that this is God's word and that it is true, and the Bible says it, and that's good enough for me. But we all know that that's not the way that many people think today. And so let's look at some other evidence, some evidence that may help us when when we need to point to this truth, this essential truth that Jesus was resurrected, that for some people you can't just open up God's word and show it to them. They need proof. And so let's look at some proof this morning. First of all, you have the empty tomb. I love what one uh, scholar said. He said, the stone wasn't rolled away for Jesus he could have gotten out if he wanted to without moving the stone. The stone wasn't rolled away for Jesus. It was rolled away for others to see and believe the empty tomb. So the, you have the empty tomb. The disciples, initially, they didn't, they didn't go far at the beginning to preach this message of a resurrected Savior. They didn't go to the ends of the earth just yet. And if, it, if, if someone wanted to disprove that the tomb was empty, they could have easily just walked over there and looked. And so you have an empty tomb that was very accessible to people who could have went and seen for themselves that the tomb was empty. Also, if it would have been a made-up story, they could have come up with a much better story. You see, back then, women weren't even allowed to be a witness in a, in a court of law, and so uh, they would have used a, a, a better witness, so to speak, than three women who went to the tomb. They would not have used the women as their story if they were concocting some made-up story about an empty tomb. They could have developed a a more believable story. The fact is, there's very little argument that the tomb was empty. Now, there are some people that have made up some theories and some other theories as to why the tomb was empty. And I want us to spend just a minute looking at some of these. And, and I think you'll find some of them as silly as I do. But at the same time, they're, believe, they're believed theories by many people. One, for example, is this stolen body theory. They believe the body of Jesus was stolen from the tomb. Let's take just a second and think about this. The Roman soldiers would be executed if they fell asleep on duty. They would have been executed. They would have lost their job. They would have lost their lives if they fell asleep on duty. Yet some people believe that Jesus' body was stolen. Now, this would mean that all of the Roman soldiers that were guarding the tomb knew the consequences of falling asleep, and yet at the same time, they all decided to take a nap. It, It doesn't make much sense. But let's just say they had a long night. Let's just suppose that they were on a comfortable rock, that they had found just a perfect spot to lean their head back against, and all the soldiers that were guarding the tomb did fall asleep. Then someone would have needed to come in and move a one- to two-ton stone, a rolling stone. They would have needed to move that stone, sneak in without waking a single one of those guards. They would have been sleeping pretty good, Paul, right? (laughs) I could just imagine, the uh, I, I, in my head, I hear the Pink Panther song. Da-dun, da-dun, da-dun. And they're just sneaking in, trying not to wake a single soldier. Let's suppose that they did. Let's suppose that they were able to sneak in, move this giant stone, go in, get Jesus without waking a single guard. Then we got to think about who is sneaking in we got to think about that now the men who are sneaking in most likely are the disciples, the same disciples who were hiding behind a locked door and had all fled when Jesus was arrested. But they look over the hill and they see all the Roman soldiers and they decide in this moment they're going to be brave and they're going to sneak in there and they're going to attempt this incredible robbery of the grave. I don't think it's, I don't think it's plausible. And not only that, they would have took, took time to fold the grave clothes and leave them nice and neat and then sneak out real quiet. I just don't think that's the way it would have happened. Another theory is this uh, called the swoon theory. The, uh, in other words, that Jesus had just fainted, that he had lost consciousness. We have to keep in mind when thinking about this theory that it was only after the first-hand report that Jesus was in fact dead that Pilate released the body. He made sure that Jesus was dead before he released the body. One biblical scholar said this, Jesus' death by execution under Pilate is as sure as anything historical can ever be. Now why would you say he said that? Why would he think that it's as sure as anything in history has ever been? It's because even if there was no resurrection story, Even if no one had come up with a story that Jesus Christ was resurrected, there were two men in particular, Josephus and Tacitus was his name. Both unbelievers wrote about Jesus' death. Jesus' death was written about by men who weren't even believers. Even if there was no story about Jesus being resurrected, it was in history that Jesus Christ had been crucified. Many would have died from the beatings alone, Many would not have made it as long as Jesus did. And so they would have died long before they even got into the tomb. And yet we're to believe that he had just lost consciousness. He had just fainted. Now this theory assumes that a man who had been flogged, he had been beaten, he had nails in his hands and his feet, he had been stabbed with a spear and then put in this tomb. We are to believe that he unwrapped himself, folded his clothes, quietly removed a two-ton stone. Now, I said earlier, he didn't need to do that. He could have just gotten out if he wanted to. But remember, the men who come up with this theory wouldn't believe that. They would be saying that he had moved this stone himself, as injured as he was. Then, according to Luke, he walked seven miles to Emmaus beside a couple of men who did not recognize how beaten and bruised and beat up he was. It makes no sense at all it makes no sense at all one more and this one's maybe my favorite one there are many others but we're just going to focus on a, a few this morning this one is the uh, the hallucination theory that people were just hallucinating as they saw the resurrected savior this one takes a great deal of faith jesus appeared 10 different times to over 500 people first of all we would have to say that all 500 of those people saw the exact same hallucination do you know how hard it is to get a row of people to tell the same story? And we have to get 500 people to all agree that they saw the same thing. Then we read in Scripture that Jesus ate. We read in Scripture in Matthew that the disciples took hold of his feet and worshipped him. You cannot take hold of a hallucination. They took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 says, During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways... That he was actually alive. Again, God's word tells us the answer, and I believe it. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. George Hansen is an author, and he said this, The difficulties of belief may be great. It may be great to believe that someone was resurrected from the dead. But he goes on to say, The absurdities of unbelief are greater. The difficulties of belief may be great, but the absurdities of unbelief are greater. Paul writes to us about these witnesses in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. What we know is that at the time this was written, there were witnesses still alive to be questioned. In fact, the reason Paul may be mentioning all these people is if to say they're alive, go and ask them. They saw it with their own two eyes. They can tell you themselves Jesus is alive. That's why Paul's listing all of these people. So any doubters can say they can, first of all, go and look at the empty tomb. And second of all, they can go ask someone for themselves. Now, I've got a sound effect I want to play in just a moment. I want to know, go ahead and shout it out if you know what this sound effect is from. Huh? Law and order. That's a, that's a less than two-second sound effect, and you guys know that it was Law & Order. One of the guys in the sound booth heard it when they were running the sound check, and he said, wait a minute, my wife's not here. Why are we watching this show? I like that show, too. Uh, in fact, Law & Order hooks me every time. You watch the very beginning, and then you've got to say, I, I personally can't turn it off until I see the outcome. The reason I've got Law & Order there is because, let's pretend we were going into a court of law, and we take those 500... Eyewitnesses, 500 eyewitnesses. Now, if each eyewitness, if each person testified for six minutes and were cross-examined, six minutes and cross-examined, all 500 people about their experience with Jesus, seeing the resurrected Savior, they would have over 50 hours of firsthand eyewitness testimony, and we would have the most lopsided trial in history. And yet it's still not believed by so many people. 500 people giving testimony, giving firsthand eyewitness testimony would be an overwhelmingly lopsided trial. Jesus is alive. Jesus was resurrected. The empty tomb is proof of that and so are those changed disciples that we talk about so many times. Those men whose lives were changed. When Jesus was arrested, the Bible says, all the disciples left him and fled. They all ran away. They all hid. They were long gone. And then, all of a sudden, they became bold. They became fearless. They stood before thousands of people, not disassociating themselves with Jesus, but saying they were with Jesus, deciding to say he is the Son of God. He is the resurrected Savior. All of a sudden, their mindset, their, their uh, whole focus changed, and they preached a resurrected Savior To their death. What happened? John 20 verse 8 happened. Then the disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. A light bulb went off. He put it all together. Everything changed in that moment. All of a sudden, they went from thinking this story was nonsense that the ladies had come to tell them that the tomb was empty. And all of a sudden, they put all these things together, and everything changed. Now, there's one more verse in John 20 I want us to look at. And, and, and it was really, really funny to me. Mr. Johnny knows it because I told it to him uh, when I was reading it and studying it. And I said, you've got to see this. You've got to see what this happened. And, and I want us to read this verse, and it's funny at first, and then, but, but I think we can make a really sad connection here. Verse 10 of John chapter 20. After everything changes. Look what the Bible says. My Bible, New Living Translation says, Then they went home. Then they went home. And I thought, John, come on. I mean, you've seen, you've believed. This story is true. Jesus is alive. Everything changes. The gospel is advanced to the ends of the earth. And the, and the best we got is then they went home. I, I thought that was a little bit light. So much more happened in the lives of the disciples after that moment. But then I thought, wait a minute. In a sad way, that's, that's really true with, with me a lot of times, with probably many of you would, would, would probably admit to it. How many of us believe that Jesus Christ has been resurrected from the grave, that our Savior is alive, and then we go home? And at first I laughed and I hadn't even thought about this other part when I told Johnny. I was like, Johnny, this is hilarious. And then I thought, no, wait a minute. That is so incredibly sad. So much more happened in the lives of the disciples after they saw and after they believed and they remembered, they realized that Jesus must be resurrected from the dead. And then everything changed. But so many of us hear that same story, know those same truths, and then we go home. Now, today, don't feel bad when we dismiss. Go home, beat the snow. (laughs) Go home, get safe. But then, tomorrow, the next day, no matter where you go, no matter where you find yourself at, no matter whatever you're doing, whoever you're talking to, live differently. This should change everything for us. We should not just hear this truth and then go home. Now, you might have already believed that Jesus is alive and but Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, okay, you've convinced me. Those are some theory, silly theories, and, and I could see how Jesus would be, uh, has been resurrected, and, and I believe. But what does the resurrection mean? Here's what it means. It means that all this is true. It means that Jesus was the Son of God. It means that he did what he said he was going to do. It means that assurance of salvation and eternal life is available to all who place their faith in Jesus. It literally changes everything. Second Timothy, chapter one says, "And now he has made all of this plain to us, by the appearing of Christ Jesus our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. Illuminated, he made, he showed us the way to eternal life." Jesus said, "I, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father." But by me. And because he rose from the grave, we are guaranteed a priceless inheritance that the Bible says can neither spoil, perish, or fail. We're we're guaranteed a resurrected spiritual body that will live forever with the Lord. And sadly, I, I find myself guilty of this, only speaking of that priceless inheritance when I'm asked to speak at a funeral, or we might hear it at a funeral. But does that guaranteed priceless inheritance affect the way that we live on a daily basis? Or do we just think about that person who has passed away and now all of a sudden they get to to move into that inheritance. And that's the only time that that ever crosses our mind. It should change the way we live every single day. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, let that be on your mind today. That's what the resurrection means. It means that we can have life not only here and now, but eternal life. And we don't have to just enjoy that eternally. We can enjoy that today. Here's the essential truth this morning that you need to know. Jesus is alive. There's one more verse on the screen. I, couldn't, I could not um, leave this morning without this verse. This verse is an incredible passage of Scripture, and I want each one of you to read this verse On the screen it says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. You need to know today that Jesus is alive and that the reason he went to the cross in the first place was because of how much God loved you and how much God loved me. And the fact that he rose from the grave means that we can have life today. He wants to give you life. No matter what's happened in your past, no matter what's, what, what, what you've done, no matter what you've gotten yourself into, He wants to give you life today. This morning, there are some ways that you can respond. You can respond here in person. We've got some folks at the Connect Corner. They would love to talk to you about how Jesus Christ can change your life. Listen, let this, let this truth, I hope that we've proved it to be true this morning, let this truth change your life. You can also respond by turning in that Connect card and taking that next step and following Jesus. A couple of the students this weekend said, I, I need to be baptized. I need to I need to move from just being a fan and knowing about Jesus to actually following Jesus. Maybe you need to mark that on your card. Maybe you need to talk to someone at the Connect corner about that. But But listen, everyone in the room needs to take action, needs to put this truth into practice. And don't simply believe this, know this, And then go home. Take it with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this truth. Thank you for your word that makes it so plain. Lord, I pray for those in the room that may have a hard time understanding that. Lord, that they would realize that the absurdities of unbelief are greater. Lord, your word is true. Lord, we thank you for coming out of that grave. Thank you that when they went to, to, to finish the burial preparations, Lord, that there was no body there. That you had risen from the dead and given us a priceless inheritance that nothing can take away if we simply place our faith in you. Lord, I pray that if there's one in the room today that needs to do that, that they would make that decision before they leave here today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Check out this screen, guys. Yes,
1: Jesus Christ is alive. He rose from the dead, and that day, that Easter Sunday morning, that first Easter, when Mary and Mary Magdalene and Siloam went to the grave expecting to anoint a dead body, they saw the angel sitting there. And they said, where is Jesus? The angel said, he is not here, he is risen. I submit to you tonight that that's the greatest news the world has ever heard. He is not here. He has conquered the grave. He's alive. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe that there's more proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead than almost any other fact in Roman history. I don't believe there's a fact in ancient history today so well proven as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But even if there was no proof, no historical proof, no scientific proof, and there is, I would still believe it because I believe this book is God's inspired word and the whole early church went up and down the country preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the thing that shook the Roman Empire. That a man had risen from the dead. That he was alive. That death could not hold him. Christ is alive. He's a living Savior.